0: Right, you may be seated. Well, we have a few announcements to go over here real quick before we get started this morning, so I'm going to make those announcements. Um, we want to remember our back-to-school prayer tonight at 5 to 6 p.m. in the gym, uh, so that's going to be going on right here, 5 to 6 p.m., back-to-school prayer. Uh, there's going to be a church in a day coming up on August 16th through 17th in Paris, Illinois, for more information, check with uh, Brother Kyle or Sister Teresa. This is for men and women. Uh, again, church in a day, August 16th through 17th for men and women. Church work projects. If you're available to help with random projects around the church throughout the day or evening, please see Brother Kyle. More information. Um, and then COP Crafts. Uh, I don't know where I got this, but I'm reading it anyway. Um, uh, yeah, Christmas at our place. There we go. Thank you. Uh, it's an anacronym. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's keep going here. If you would like to help make crafts for a Christmas at our place, please meet in the kids' church room immediately after service today. Sheaves for Christ bake sale. Uh, next, that's going to be next Sunday after service, uh, so just remember that. And then NAYC jump drive. Jump drive and videos of all general sessions available to check out. If you'd like to check this out, please see Teresa Rainey. And uh, if you don't know who that is, Sister Teresa, would you mind just putting your hand up there? There she is. All right, yeah, let's give her a hand. Thank you. Thank you for handling that for us. So she's going to have all the resources that you need as far as uh, NAYC goes. So check those out, and uh, she's going to have it. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our discipleship lesson uh, or series today. And uh, the title of our discipleship series, this is actually two, lesson 2.1, so we're beginning uh, a new series. So I should say, The Posture of, Disci- of a Disciple Informed but Not Transformed. That's gonna be our series. The Posture of a Disciple Informed but Not Transformed. Because a person can be informed, a person can have a lot of information. If I'm a biology uh, student and I have a lot of information, but I don't know how to apply that to an ecosystem or how to apply my knowledge and make changes, then, you know, what good is the information? So uh, I want to not just have information, but I want to be transformed by the information. Amen. Uh, And today's uh, scripture reading is going to be in Romans 12, 1 through 2. And I'm going to read that here today. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans twelve two and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I want to uh, I want to honor whenever the word tells me uh, gives us guidance. ...on how we should live our lives, I want to respond to that, amen? So uh, I think there's, I know that there are some uh, truths in these scriptures that we're going to cover today. So before we get started into our lesson, why don't we just lift our hearts and lift our voices to God today... ...and ask Him to be with us and to guide us and to let us be more than informed but be transformed today. Lord Jesus, we give you praise and we give you thanks for your goodness and for your love. We give you thanks for this opportunity to be gathered here together... I thank you, Jesus, for your presence and the power of your presence in our lives that calls us to transformation. And I pray today that as we go through this lesson, Lord, that you will encourage us, that you will uh, uh, encourage us to change, Lord, and transform the places, God, that we need that transformation. Let us move beyond information. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray and we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm thankful to be here today. I uh, want to extend my thanks to uh, Brother Kelly and Brother Gene for allowing me to speak to you today. Uh, it's always an honor, and uh, I just wanted to say that. And I have such a, a great crowd. Everyone's had some breakfast, and uh, you know, looking looking good, looking happy, looking full. So praise God. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have a good lesson. Amen. So let's just. Uh, you know there are uh, different different um, you know, there are different things that can happen to an individual whenever they merely only have information but they don't know how to apply information and um, I've already said that you know a few times now but i want I want to drive that home right here before we get started because what can happen whenever we only have information is that we can be a disciple in our mind but uh, with just information, whenever we take ourselves, it, it, it almost makes it impossible for us to take a bird's-eye view and look down and say, okay, am I really transformed? You know, Because there was an individual in the Bible who I'm getting ready to read a story about, and he was only an individual that had information in his life. He sadly did not undergo the process of a dis- true discipleship where one becomes transformed on a daily basis. And that's where we begin today. He was intrigued, but not entangled. He was curious, but not committed. He was enchanted, but not engaged. The buy-in meant something different to him than it appeared to mean to the others. He was buying in only on the surface, and that only if the buyout was lucrative enough. To be sure, there were likable aspects of his persona. But deep inside, he was a cold, calculated sociopath. The offer seemed too good to be true and only got better with each passing day. He actually could not believe his good fortune to be invited into such an elite group. At first he felt as though he did not belong, but eventually he convinced himself that this was the lucky break he had been looking for. Yes, it appeared that his ship had finally come into port. During the early days, it was easy to blend in, to remain incognito, and to play the part. There were no difficult assignments, no declarations to make, and no requirements <clears throat> excuse me, that rubbed him the wrong way. Of course, there was the occasional annoying teacher's pet attempts by others in the group that vexed his spirit. Who did they think they were trying to patronize their way to the top? But other than that, it was a pretty cool gig. He got to see things he had never seen before. He heard things he had never heard before. There were times when he would lose his jaded edge and want to give in to what everyone else seemed to be feeling and believing. He would eventually wrestle himself, though, back to his senses and bide his time knowing that one day he would cash in on his investment. If the others had been paying attention, they might have picked up on a clue as to the one among them who was not like them. Then, six days before Passover in Bethany, many of the rabbis' close friends were there, including Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. It was a festive occasion when Jesus came to visit. Martha always strived to make things comfortable for Jesus and his followers. Spread out on the table was a delectable meal fit for a king the fragrant aroma of delicious food filled the air as they all took their places and reclined near the table to enjoy a meal together but something else was in the air it was hard to discern because the present feeling was deeper than just a gathering of friends something else was going on like a struggle between givers and takers Without warning or announcement, Mary burst into the room with a bottle of expensive ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then began to wipe his feet with her hair. Eleven disciples were impressed, eleven of them, if not touched by such a gesture. But Judas, he was incredulous. He held it inside as long as he could. Something needed to be said, he was the one to do it. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor, he protested in John twelve five. On the surface, his criticism almost sounds prudent, reasonable, and worthy of defense. The others knew well by this time that Judas did not care for the poor, but he was a thief and had already been stealing from their money box. Judas, Jesus responded with, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the, poor, <clears throat> for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. John 12, 7 and 8. Although this attitude had been concealed in Judas's heart all along, this was the first time he came out into the open with it. There was an intense battle going on inside of him that he could not manage much longer. Something was getting ready to boil over and he could feel it. Why could he not just be like the others? They seemed so on board and committed. He knew what they knew and had participated in everything they had. Yet he could not seem to catch up with the group. Judas knew just enough to be dangerous. He knew Christ's teaching... He knew Christ's attitude, he knew Christ's vision, and he knew Christ's mission. He had a lot of knowledge. Judas was so inclined and informed that he was actually the most likely candidate to sell Jesus out. He was an insider who knew the places Jesus frequented when he wanted to get away from the crowd. He now was in full cooperation with Satan to bring Jesus down. A few days later, it was Passover. The Last Supper had been made ready and the disciples all gathered in. Arriving at last, Jesus made the bombshell announcement that before the night was over, one of his close followers would betray him. All the disciples began to urgently ask, Lord, is it I? Matthew 26 and 22. And Jesus answered none of them. Curiously, Judas then asked the same question, but revealed his problem in doing so. Rabbi, is it I? Matthew 26 and 25. The other 11 disciples made Jesus their lord, their master. But Judas only had a rabbi, a teacher. That's a dangerous place to be at today. To make Jesus only a teacher. When I was in school, wasn't too long ago, but when I was in school, if I had a hard time getting to, uh, when I, if I had a hard time understanding my instructor, or their learning or their teaching style didn't fit my learning style, and I felt it the very first day, I would either change courses, I would switch, I would switch uh, instructors by picking another course in the day or I would drop that class and add a different one because I knew that if, if, the, if, the, if this person's teaching style doesn't fit my learning style, I'm going to have a rough semester and I want to have a good semester. I was already counting the cost at the very beginning of the semester. But if we treat Jesus, if we treat this like just a teacher, and we see something that we might disagree with, if this is just a lesson, if this is just our teacher, it'll become just another textbook where we say, okay, not this one. I'll put it back up on the shelf. Let me get another one till we can find some way somehow to rationalize or to agree with our agenda, make the textbook agree with us. But when the Lord in His Word is our Lord and Master, it's not just a lesson anymore. Whenever the Word says do, I will do. Whenever the Lord exerts His dominion and authority in my life, it's not a moment for me to disagree and put the Bible up as another textbook. It's a place where I build an altar, where I say, Lord, transform me. Lord, change me. Because if I'm just on information, it's possible for me to get into a place where I can betray your interests. I don't ever want to be in a place today where I can betray the interests of my Lord. And if that ever happens, it's because He's become more of a teacher than my God. He must be our Lord today. He can't just be a teacher. He has to be my Lord. Knowledge is power, but that does not mean it always creates the right kind of power. Judas' knowledge of Jesus' whereabouts gave him the power to betray Jesus, which demonstrates that knowledge is not enough to make a true disciple. Information alone was not enough to restrain Judas from slithering like a snake out into the streets to cash in on his insider knowledge. And after meeting with members of the Sanhedrin and agreeing on a price, Judas led them into the garden where he knew Jesus would be praying. And as agreed upon with a cold kiss of betrayal, he identified the one whom they sought. Perhaps Judas envisioned other options that Jesus might have had after the deed was done. But selling out Jesus instead of selling out to Jesus was the price Judas paid for being informed but not transformed. Today I don't want to, today I want to sell out to Jesus. I don't want to just sell out Jesus. Amen. If you don't want to sell out Jesus today and you want to sell out to Jesus, why don't we just give him a hand clap of praise today? I mean, I feel that way. Lord, I want to sell out to you. Lord, our hearts are toward you today. What a scary thing to be so informed that. You can betray the master's interests. That's a scary thing. But, you know, the question is, you know, I wonder if it was even obvious to Judas that he was not like the others. Was, was he blind to it? Was he deceived? I think that he was. I think that he didn't even know that he was just informed. He was always trying to play catch-up, but that didn't register, oh, I'm not transformed. It registered in, oh, I have to get ahead. Oh, I have to, I have to do some more. I have, I have an agenda. It, it just focused Judas on his own agenda and not what Jesus was teaching. And if we're just informed, that's the way it's going to be. We'll seek our own agendas instead of the masters, instead of our lords. So I want to be a true disciple today. I want to make Jesus my Lord and not just my informant. I want to make Jesus my Lord and not just my instructor. Whenever I read this word, whenever I pull it down off the shelf or off the table or wherever you keep your Bible, your special Bibles maybe, and you start reading it and you you begin to feel that tug on your spirit where God is trying to lead you into change, that's the moment where it's are you a disciple or are you not? Because that begins, that, that moment is where you say, I will either be transformed or I'll find another resource. I'll find a magazine. I'll find a good article that argues against this. Because we live in an information age and it's easy to find somebody that will agree with you. I want to make sure that the word is my firm foundation. Amen. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the 21st century? It's a good question. What is required of us to be a follower of the one who laid down his life for us? When we consider purchasing anything of value, we always want to know what the price tag says. Right? We always want to know. I mentioned that just a few seconds, just a few minutes ago. When I began a course in college, I wanted to know what the price of this course was going to be for my semester. If I stay in this, how hard am I going to have to work? Because I have these other courses I have to take. And if I have a hard time understanding what's being said to me, then I'm going to have to work extra hard. Usually, that's our mindset in a lot of things. We start counting the cost before we engage or before we embark on whatever whatever we're working on, whatever we intend to work on, or whatever we intend to invest in. We count the cost. So, it's no similar in discipleship. Because in his discourse on the price of discipleship in Luke 14, Jesus said that before a man builds a tower, he should consider the price of such an endeavor. It would be embarrassing to begin construction of a tower and then later realize that you did not possess enough capital to finish it. And sometimes, discipleship can become a thing that's kind of a little bit watered down. Okay, well, I'm going to... You know, there's, there's some things I know to do. I'm going to do those. But, you know, somewhere in between maybe some of those practices that we do as good disciples, you know, we give ourselves excuses. Because we count the cost of other things more than we count the cost of discipleship. But if we are counting the cost of discipleship, we'll know that our investment in that discipleship is going to build a tower that's not, it's not in this reality, but it's eternal. I'm building something in the kingdom whenever I'm obedient. I'm building something in the kingdom when I count the cost of my discipleship and I walk faithfully in it. And if we're not walking faithfully in our discipleship, then we haven't been wise and counted the cost of that discipleship. There's a lot to be said there, but I I only have so much time today. But I want to be wise. I want to realize that it's more important for me to to look at discipleship as something that is requiring of me more and it should require of me more than other things in this life you know if I get up in the morning and I don't have time to brew coffee but I have time to pray it's going to hurt not to have my coffee it's going to hurt bad because I like coffee but I have to pray yeah yeah Maybe, maybe, you know, ha- not having that cup of coffee is going to, may- maybe it's going to, maybe it would throw my day off. I'm not saying it would. It usually doesn't, but maybe for someone else it might. You know, so I counted the cost there and said, no, I've got to have my coffee. Got to be, I want to I be in a good mood today. Let's brew this thing. Just get it going. Just get it going. Instead of, okay, well, I don't have time to wait for 10 minutes or 15 minutes to grind the beans and everything else, whatever it takes. And then, but I, you know, I'm going to go pray instead because I'm counting the cost of discipleship. I just, I'm, the point that I'm making today is that our minds have to be more on, more, more on discipleship than maybe some of the normal things that we do during our day that have our attention. You know, if I say that coffee is what keeps me sustained. Maybe I need a mind shift or a mind transformation that says Jesus is going to keep me sustained. So I'm going to spend time in prayer when I might rely on something else. So I'm going to spend time in Bible reading when I might rely on something else. Jesus is my sustainer today. Amen. So in his discourse on the price of discipleship in Luke 14, I told you that that Jesus said that you need to count the cost of building a tower. So for Jesus, he was intolerant. That's your first blank today. He was intolerant of would-be followers who were more concerned about what they would have to give up and their personal inconveniences than they were about the price of being his disciple. The personal inconveniences. What will I have to give up? More, More worried about that. More worried about that than that price of everyday discipleship. But such is the case for well-meaning, prospective followers of Jesus Christ who wade into the waters of discipleship only to realize it's cooler and deeper than what they originally anticipated. There were three such cases at the end of Luke 9 that we're going to discuss today. And that begins in Luke 9 and 57. One enthusiast who didn't count the cost of discipleship and was more entertained with other things... He, it came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And this is really interesting. This man just comes up. Hey, Lord, hey, hey, man, I'll follow you wherever you go. And what's interesting is here, even though this word is Lord, uh, it's a. Uh, well, Matthew has a parallel to it and we're going to talk about that. But Jesus read his heart and he replied to this man who just came up and said, hey, I'll follow you. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the parallel to this account is Matthew 8, uh, 18 through 20. Parallels it almost exactly. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side and a certain scribe Uh, and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Almost an exact parallel. We can pretty much all see that, right? We can pretty much see that. So what's interesting here, though, is that we have a little bit more information in this this account than Luke gives us. Number one, Jesus saw great multitudes about him. That's the first. And the second, the scribe called him master. And in the, in the, in the Greek word for master is Didoskolos, which means teacher. So here this scribe also called Jesus teacher. And he comes up and he says, Hey, I'll follow you. I wonder why. Because there's all this multitude around Jesus. And for a scribe... Whenever you sit underneath a teacher, when you sit underneath someone that would expound on on the Torah, they gave you food, they gave you lodging, they protected you, you were with them all the time. So when this scribe said, oh yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, maybe it's because his eyes were on the big crowd that was around him. Man, this guy has some influence. I bet he's got a nice pad. I, I bet he can really provide some good food. And so instead of seeing the Lord walking down, the road he saw a resource he saw someone that could give him things apparently what this man really wanted to know above all else was if Jesus was going to provide him that room and board because man all this crowd man he's he's got he's got to have some he's got to have some good money good money he's got to have some good resources you know I, I bet in Jerusalem, he's got a real nice place. I'll just sit there and learn Torah, and he can take these trips, and I'll be, I'll be set. But I want to remind you today that our sustenance, it doesn't come in those, those earthly things. It doesn't, come, uh, it doesn't come with just the room and board. It, it, those things are important. But listen to this. Brother Gene just preached on it not long ago, Luke 4 3 through 4. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Here, this man was trying to live off the resources that he had materialistically, when Jesus is wanting people to live off what he has eternally. And that's why he says, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You're not going to be getting what you think you're going to get if you follow me. Wow. That's kind of... It's pretty eye-opening. So here the scribe came thinking Jesus was a resource. Man, if I follow him... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have material safety. I'm going to have material provision. But Jesus said, no, I don't want your mind on that. I don't want your eyes to be on that. I want your eyes to be on what's eternal. I want your eyes to be upon the message and the gospel, my, my teaching, my truth, upon who I am, the revelation of himself as the Messiah. If you're just after my, my home, materialistically, I don't have a home. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. But when he died, he was going to go prepare a place. He he went to prepare a place for us. That's what this man couldn't see because he didn't see Jesus as a Messiah. He only saw him as a teacher. So when I see great things happening, when I see multitudes around following Jesus, and I see, man... And, and I feel that, that need to volunteer. Well, what is, moving my, what, what is moving me? What is moving me? Because if I think that Jesus is just a resource, that's information. But if I see Jesus as something more, as the Messiah, as the one who went to prepare a place, hey, that's transformation. Amen. I want to be transformed today. Amen. If you want to be transformed today, why don't we just give them another hand clap of praise. Yes, Lord, we want to be transformed. But when it comes to protection, this is also not earthly. In Psalms 91 and 4, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Hmm. Well, if this man was wanting somewhere to be safe in a, in a world, in a Hellenistic world, in the Roman world, where things were not always certain, Jesus says, no, I'll be your protection. To a second seeker, the master offered, follow me. In Luke 9, 59, this seeker's request was to go bury his father, which on the surface seemed reasonable. That seems reasonable. You know, well, I need to go, you know, my father, I need to go bury him. You know, that's a reasonable thing for me to do because Jews at that time, it was highly important in their culture. And it still is important. It's one of the most important things that they can do. Uh, It's one of the most important roles a family member at that time uh, could take as an ethical priority. It was an ethical priority for them to bury their family, to bury their father. And there will always be family and life issues, challenges and demands, but none of them are enough to temper the master's call in our hearts. In this particular situation, it's unlikely the man's father was dead yet since contact with the dead would have made the man unclean for a week, and he would not have been walking near other people. So this man's out and about. He's, Jesus encounters him. If this man's father had already died, and it was recent enough to bury him, this man wouldn't be out like he is. The man's request was more likely along the lines of, Let me wait until my father has passed away. Then I will bury him, and then I will follow you. The problem with this man, or the problem with this, is the man didn't see the importance of this moment. He wanted to respond to the invitation on his own time. Sometimes what seems reasonable to us sounds reasonable because we're wanting to respond on our own time. Okay, Lord, you told me to do something now. Well, let me go over here and do this first. You know, it's, it sounds immediate, but it's not immediate. And that's the thing. That's what the scripture is communicating to us. Let me go bury my father. That sounds pretty immediate. Sounds like right now. I got to go do it right now. But that's what we do in our minds. We we push everything up in importance and say, I got to do this right now. But Jesus said, oh, hold on a second. That can wait. That can wait. Because who knows when that's really going to happen. You're just making a big deal of it. Let me go bury my father. Well, when's he going to pass? How how do you know when that's going to happen? It might not happen for a while. So you're choosing your own time to respond to God. Or this person was definitely choosing his own time to respond to God. He wanted to respond to that invitation uh, selfishly. It was here that Jesus was calling this man to a new reality, though. The only time neglecting a family burial would have been acceptable in the case of behavior attributed to the Old Testament prophets. And this is in Ezekiel 24, 15 through 24. We're not going to read it in, Jer- in Jeremiah 16, 1 through 9. So if you want to see places where where uh, funerals or burial, uh, uh, things that were normal in that culture were neglected or put off or, or you know, anything like that, read this and you'll see how prophets were kind of sometimes antisocial and didn't always follow the rules. And that was the only time, that was the only time that it was acceptable for these social expectations to be violated. So here you have Jesus saying, okay, let the dead bury the dead. But the man didn't know that Jesus was calling him into a brotherhood of prophets For maybe he would have been present at the day of Pentecost when the words of Moses came to pass and the Holy Ghost fell on that room and provided them all with the spirit of prophecy. Because let me remind you what Moses said in Numbers 11 and 29. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And then Revelation 19 and 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here this man is. Jesus says, follow me. He says, oh no, it's not. I have other things to do that seem more important. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the spirit of prophecy. I'm going to give you the testimony of my name. And if you'll follow me, you remember the Old Testament prophets who were taken up in chariots? You remember the Old Testament prophets where miracles were done, who heard the voice of God? That's what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to a testimony of my name. Jesus, I'm speaking about Jesus. And you have an opportunity today to enter into a place where you will have a spirit of prophecy. And you don't even know it because I prioritized other things in my life and said, This this takes priority, even though I don't know when. I don't know when I'm going to get this done. All I know is that Jesus is saying, Respond now, come now. Man. I pray I never miss out on a blessing like that. I hope I never miss out on an outpouring like that, on a gift like that, because I failed to prioritize what Jesus was calling my spirit to, what Jesus was calling me into obedience for. Because I could completely miss out on, taking, on, on growing deeper in God. Amen. Amen. I want to grow deeper uh, in the Lord today. I think that I'm not alone when I say that there are hungry people that want more of God, that want more of the demonstration of His Spirit in their life today. But more of the demonstration of Jesus in our lives is going to demand. It's going to demand that when Jesus calls, when He says to do something, when He calls us to an invitation to follow Him in whatever way it is, we have to respond Because I'm not going to see the demonstration in my life if I don't sacrifice. If I don't say, okay, God, I hear those words, I'm going to follow You. I'm going to trust, Lord, that You can take care of these priorities if I'll make You my priority. There are such deeper places that we can that God draws us to, that we can deny that power. Even though we have power now, if we we stop answering His call in the moment, we can deny the true power that God is trying to build us in every day as He causes us to prosper more and more. Not materialistically, but spiritually. Spiritually. If you want to pray for the sick and see them healed, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some response. If you want to pray for a hungry soul who's seeking for the Holy Ghost and see Him filled with the Holy Ghost, it's going to take some responding. It's going to take some sacrifice. We have to be aware today that when Jesus speaks, He's always calling us to more than what we can see in the moment. And that's why we have to respond by faith. We have to respond by faith. Can we just lift our hands right now? Oh, Lord Jesus, mighty God. I pray right now for every hungry soul, Lord that desires more of You, Jesus, that desires to go deeper in You. I pray, God, that as this Word is even going forth in this very moment, oh God, that You would challenge us, God, that You would challenge our hunger, challenge our desire, God, that when You speak to believe, that You see much further in the future than we see today. Oh God, and to respond, oh Lord, because I don't want to miss out on any gift that you want to give because I was unable to respond to your call in the moment, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Lord, we want to receive today. Not of this material world, but spiritually, God. We want to grow today. In Jesus' name. A third third perspective disciple appeared willing to accept the call to follow, but desired to go home and say goodbye to friends and family. Jesus' reply was stinging. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In all three of these cases, none of the requests seemed unreasonable. On the surface, yet Jesus is revealing something about the human heart. There will always be logical human reasons why we cannot and should not and will not fully follow now. But I pray today that when we hear Him speak, we'll remember He's calling in His invitation. He's calling us to more every time. Every time. So I don't want my logical reasons today to throw me off. True transformation is one who bears the cross and not just someone who knows how to bear the cross. If we've been in church long enough, we've seen how others have walked through life and carried their cross. So we learn a lot. We learn a lot about what it means to carry a cross. But I don't want to just know what it... I I don't want just information about how to carry it. No, I want the experience of carrying it. Because that's what a disciple is, and so a few things that can prevent us or uh, that keeps a prospective disciple at information stage and not moving into transformation is logical human reasons, short sightedness, and ambition. Number one, I'm not seeing really what God's wanting to do. I'm not being spiritual in this moment when God's inviting me into a gift. Two, it's ambition. I see the crowd. I see all the things that Jesus does and what living for Him means, all the blessing. I want that instead of the truth of His gospel and the sacrifice that comes with following the Messiah who did not have a home, who had nowhere to lay His head. So those are a few things. So when Paul admonished the believers at Rome to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, this was an all-in statement. An all-in statement. Perhaps these words would have captured the imagery in their minds of crawling up on a brazen altar of the temple as if to live in the state of chronic sacrifice. But I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to have to move along. I do want to tell you that this uh, all-in moment where we have to begin to consider what it means to sacrifice. We, we read that in Romans 12, 12, 1 through 2. And I just want to go there right now. In Romans 12, 1, Paul addressed the required commitment of the body to fully engage in becoming a disciple. In verse 2, Paul addressed the required commitment of, uh, of them to fully engage the mind as a requirement in becoming a disciple. And God is not asking for a small portion of our lives. He's asking for all of our lives. Yet in the light of mercies of God extended towards such undeserving recipients, presenting our bodies and whole beings is considered our reasonable service. That's considered our reasonable service today. And this word... Uh, I don't really have, um, yeah, okay, so, I, let's go here. The reasonable service, the reasonable service in the, in the scriptures that we read today, a, a better and more, uh, maybe a better way to understand that, whenever we look at the original language, it's, it's our spiritual worship, which is your spiritual worship. Sometimes we don't always think of how our conduct And our everyday living offers up worship. But whenever Paul is talking to to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's coming against the spirit of the age. And uh, we see that in Romans 12 and 2. Be not conformed to this world or this age. Because so many things in this age draws us to worship it. So many things in the Roman culture. All the gods had different types of worship that... Were, that was conducted through sacrifice and it wasn't just sacrifice of it, it, it was sacrifice of life livestock people things and they all sacrificed these things all of this stuff to gods that were false and he said christian your sacrifice is to offer spiritual worship through your conduct through your body It's called the soma in the Greek. It's how we relate to one another in reality. It's how we relate to one another relationally. It's how we relate to each other in general as a human being. It's our conduct. We know that presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, we know what that means to to do that in our presentation. How How we look and how we appear to the world. But our conduct, it also means our conduct. And that is our spiritual worship. How we conduct ourselves. And uh, it's interesting though, because I don't whenever we look at all this, look at Romans 12 and go through this and see our call to spiritual worship on an everyday basis. But Paul goes on to say: this is, this is what happens corporately. This is what happens corporately whenever you have a transformed mind in our living, like, I, like Paul has stated in Romans 12.1. Romans 12.10, "...be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Paul sets these expectations as something to be experienced corporately. When earlier in the chapter, he likens the congregation to a body. He says in Romans 12, 5, So we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members of another. So if verses 10 through 16 is what is expected corporately of a church body from day to day, then we should also see as an individual call to such spiritual worship. This is what it means to be a disciple. To conduct myself in a way that is spiritually worshipful every day. Because that's what it means to be a disciple. Paul said, We should not allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but rather become transformed by the renewing of our minds. Transformation is the result of true discipleship, and beginning with changing our thinking, then our attitude, and eventually our behavior. Conforming to the world will be the result of conforming to the world is a result of incomplete discipleship. And today I want to tell you, our society, our society desperately needs transformation. It desperately needs transformation. So there's a lot more that I could talk about today. But I feel like the Lord has spoken um, in the way that He's wanted to, to speak In Romans 12, 1, the Lord tells us we went through this lesson talking about how people would be disciples, how they missed it. But if we're going to be disciples that don't miss it, we need to hear the call of Romans 12, 1, and 2 to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because if we're not, our conduct won't be transformed, we won't be transformed how we relate to one another, it's not going to be transformed. And if that's the case, then I've only been informed. And I want more than information today. Amen. Why don't we stand today and go before the Lord in prayer as we close and ask the Lord to help us to be responsive, to take what we've learned today in this lesson and to let Him transform us by it and let it not just be information. Lord Jesus, I thank You, God, for Your goodness and for Your Spirit. I thank You, Lord, for the hunger for spiritual things in this place and in our lives. I pray, O oh God, that as we go this week, that You would help us, Jesus, to remember the call to be transformed and not just informed. Lord, we want to see You as the Messiah in all things, the One that has come, Lord, to save, to seek and to save the lost Jesus. I pray today, God, that you will put our minds on high things and when you speak to know that you have much more in store than what we can see. Help us to submit today to your transformation, Lord Jesus, as we lift our hearts to you, as we seek after you, as we lift our words to you today. In Jesus' name I pray and I give you thanks, Almighty God. Amen. God bless you.